It's the ER Podcast, episode 28, the official podcast of Profit from ERP. And I'm the director, Gene Hammonds. Over the past 18 months, we've helped about a dozen companies get through challenges we never thought any of us would face. And if you've listened to the earlier ER Podcast episodes, you know what a huge advantage digital companies had dealing with a world that had suddenly gone virtual. But the number one issue today is uncertainty. The country, the workforce, supply chains, inflation, is COVID up or down, opening up, locking down? There is a world of uncertainty out there. And if we're gonna maintain the right business equilibrium, we need to create more certainty within the four walls of our businesses. We can't control outside uncertainties, but we can surely affect the internal workings. That's our ability to respond to these challenges. That's responsibility, responsibility. And here's how some of our clients define business responsibility today. One big uncertainty is today's workforce. How do we deal with these challenges? What are the technology issues that can even stop top talent from joining your firm? Let's talk about how technology can help us get more done with the fewer people we actually do have on staff. We'll, we'll take a look at that. Supply chain issues? Overseas shipments are bringing back that old phrase, slow boat from China, which a lot of you didn't even know was a phrase. Well, tech can't help get your boat unloaded, but we can use demand planning to anticipate shortages that long before your ship is just offshore with the parts, raw materials, and goods your customers have been waiting for. Never mind being able to truck them to your site. Is your information good enough for today's world? Is it timely enough? Is it informative enough? You may be running a traditional ERP system that wasn't ever giving you the reports you needed. Or you may have a great baseline ERP, but operationally, there's no way to gather data. Or FP&A modeling. Can you project your profit margins when gas goes to five a gallon? Sometimes it's just a modular addition to your technology stack. Sometimes it's complete digital transformation. Total software overhaul for your company. Here's what real-world profit from ERP clients are doing to create certainty for savvy CFOs and operational teams. To recap, talk about item one, having a hard time finding the right people. Maybe your old technology is keeping today's workforce away. Item two, it's the end of JIT and now moving into JST as supply chain complexity looms. Manufacturers react, what are they doing? And item three, using ERP to add certainty to an uncertain world. Any one of these topics can really create problems for your business. Let's find out who's doing what and how you can make the smart decisions going forward. And that's what we're talking about today on episode 28 of the ER podcast, right back after this. So there's this website, it's called Feedspot. It's an aggregator of sorts. Well, technically it's like a super aggregator that becomes a custom content reader. Now you click on Feedspot and then you select all your favorite websites, all your favorite RSS feeds, news feeds, subscriptions. Imagine all the content you check out on a regular basis combined and presented from a single platform. It's a cool concept and they offer a lot more. Like companies can keep tabs on what millions of websites are saying about their brand. They can track bloggers and influencers. It's a nice concept that Feedspot. But in their aggregation of content, they group certain similar topics together and, and give you a choice of following, say, 
the top 15 ERP related podcast, which they recently released a, a, a new top 15 ERP related podcast list. And the one you're listening to the ER podcast was rated number three, which was, which is very nice of them to do. I mean, there were some big names on that top 15 list, like podcasts from Microsoft, SAP, even one of the largest software selection services, Panorama Consulting Group. Those guys, well, they ranked number eight, number nine, number 13. Now, and we ranked number three. That was cool. But of course, if they're ranking us by revenue, well, we're not, profit from ERP is not exactly Microsoft, but we have a higher rated podcast. We're number three in the country, heck, the world, probably even the universe. But, uh, you know, we're number three and we're on our way to number one. So you're in good company subscribing to the ER podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And you're always welcome to peruse the Profit from ERP website. We, the newest episodes are posted first. The ER podcast, ranked number three ERP-related podcast by Feedspot. So after today's show, go check out Feedspot.com. They have a particularly good taste in ERP-related podcasts. It's a great start. Number three. So back to today's episode of the ER Podcast. A couple of things about our consultancy, Profit from ERP. Some recent critics of the ER Podcast have spouted off. <laughs> you know how critics, they always spout. They've spouted off about how all the business cases we present on the ER podcast end up recommending companies implement new ERP software, which they then label as self-serving because that's what we do is help people select and implement software. Okay, fair point. Um, if you completely back your way into that assessment. See, here's the deal. Our clients, the people that we work with and work for are either planning in the process of or have recently finished implementing ERP to solve real business issues. That's why they'd come to profit from ERP in the first place. And all these solved business issues, well, those issues are driven by the same market you may be currently facing. So the thinking is, if you face the same or a similar problem, you may realize this or it has yet to hit your radar. I know as a small business operator myself, I face a similar problem. I, I can't manage everything I'd like to tackle. So I spend a lot of time dealing only with the biggest gorilla in the room when I might ought to notice where those gorillas are coming from in the first place. The point is, you may well have an ERP system. It could be a wonderful system, but perhaps it was implemented a few years back. So it's not set up to address today's issues. Great. You can bring in some technical software consultants and tweak whatever you need to deal with the issues others are facing today. The point of the ER podcast is not which ERP system you use or whether you should change your ERP. It's pushing forward the ERP knowledge base. That's what we're all about. And when you do get ready to replace that 1980s spaghetti code client server ERP package, we are, of course, hoping that you'll be convinced that turning a profit from ERP is a good idea, and perhaps you'll remember our website, www.profitfromerp.com, and you'll bring us in to save yourself some serious dollars, increase your efficiencies, drive some productivities, and all around create profit from ERP. Instead of, of course, going to our competitor's website, uh, www, endlessly spending big on ERP and never getting anything in return, or whatever they're calling it this month. So here's the thing. 
we're always learning. We're, we're watching what our clients do. We're watching what the market does. And when one of our clients starts driving their projects, one or more of them start going in the same direction, it, we kind of take notice. And when several clients go in the same direction, we're looking, is this a trend, a fad? And when we start to uncover similar drivers with most of our clients, then we know it's a definite trend and something we need to really focus on. We need to understand it and we need to be able to deliver it for our future clients. So these are the trends that we've been tracking, trends that are likely affecting your business. We're going to tackle three of these gorillas today. Item one, the workforce you had pre-COVID, it's gone. It's not coming back to the office now or ever. I mean, you may drag some of the same people back to the office, but a sizable segment isn't going to play. Are, are, and hiring to replace those folks? That's not working either. You, you probably already know that. We spend most of our consulting hours working inside client companies with internal teams to help them implement their ERP. We've been doing that for 25 years. And here's something we've observed. ERP works in every department of a company. ERP has defined user roles, one for AP clerks, they have another role set for the sales managers, the marketing directors, so on. So people can see the information they need to see and work with the transactions they need to work with. When we actually analyze the internal people and the jobs they do, and here's something we've noticed. In many companies, and they're usually women, or sometimes they could be men, who started with the company in one entry-level role, but over the years... They became involved in so much more, crossing departmental lines, working in multiple departments. The reason we notice it is because it's kind of difficult to design software permission roles for these hybrid type workers. I mean, you could do it, but it's a lot of work. So we noticed that, right? And around June of this year, we saw these stories in everything from Bloomberg to NPR on how women weren't returning to the workplace. There's some links on the website you can see. Here's one from NPR.org. Uh, there are complex forces keeping women from coming back to work. MSN says women left the workforce in September uh, more than, than uh, the economy added jobs. Here's another one from HR executives, the big task of getting women back into the workforce. And it, it, you can't really group everybody into a single stereotype. Understood. But what we're looking at is a big trend in the marketplace and in an effort to rehire there are all these job postings with the job descriptions going out on indeed.com ZipRecruiter, and, and people using different hiring software but here's the thing you can't find that once was an entry-level worker who developed these multi-departmental skill sets over many years at your company you're not going to find that combination of skill sets using a hiring system that's designed to filter down thousands and thousands of resumes to find the perfect, very specific specialist and to find the perfect keywords among thousands of resumes. So the job you're trying to replace, it goes unfilled. Sure, you could find a great AP clerk if all they do is AP, but replacing somebody who started as an AP clerk but is now doing special projects for the CEO Still some APR work, some HR, and even helps out in marketing. There is no software designed to recruit all of this in one person. So our traditional hiring is broken at best. Wall Street Journal today, the hiring system is broken. And then along the way, we've lost some key essential people. They're not coming back. That's just one factor. 
The people who do come back to the office may not be the right people anymore. Here's another trend. When the COVID shutdown hit and people began working from home, there were some surprising results, right? Several surveys showed an uptick in productivity, as much as 31% from some sources. It said uh, workers were converting commuting time to actual working time. The business day, at least among profit from ERP clients, our client companies, the business day was 7A to 7P. That is, if I sent out an email at 6.45 in the evening, there was a better than average chance I'd have an instant response. Those 7 a.m. Zoom invitations were the easiest time slot to clear when we had a large attendee list. And those people were concerned with their productivity. Instead of spending time in the commute, they were spending time doing their actual jobs. And coming back to the office has not sat well with the productive workers. Because it's not conducive to productivity to have Joe from sales drop by your cubicle three times a day asking if you have a minute. Another, another huge issue. Our middle management sometimes doesn't even work anymore. I mean, high trust managers, those, those people who trust and value their employees, they do well with remote workforces, especially if they're using technology to measure and see productivity instead of looking at seats and chairs. They're looking at tasks done and undone. The companies with those systems and those managers have great flexibility to manage remote workforces better than if they were even in the office. However, there are a lot of pre-COVID middle managers and a lot of older technology ERP systems. And well, the guys that manage by walking around and looking over the shoulder of everyone interspersed with endless status meeting, meeting in the conference room now, those kind of guys... Those managers are kind of floundering these days if they can't see their direct reports. And you might need to consider they may not be the right managers for today's workforce, nor do you have the right systems in place. And then here's another one. It's the impression of your technology versus what today's workforce understands about technology. A couple of clients come to mind. One was in home building, a booming group, super rapid growth. Another was doing mechanical parts for refrigeration of all types. National companies, both of them. Great management. Both were planning some digital transformation work with us. Maybe, maybe not get to it this year, but they were, they were sticking with their traditional ERP technology at the base. And both of these guys had openings, and they needed some roles filled. And, and we talked to a lot of people. We, we come across a lot of folks. We referred a couple of great candidates we knew from past engagements, and both of those companies liked those, those, those folks, and, and they extended offers, but the recruits turned the jobs down. Now, of course, our recruits, I mean, because we're in the ERP technology industry, we're going to have technology-oriented workers, well-versed in the latest cloud technology, and so on, so on. So, so consider, consider the subset of, uh, of data we're working with here. But when those candidates saw the systems these companies were running, it looked to them like old school, ancient technology, and they interpreted the companies themselves as, as dead end, career snuffing has beens. Why? Well, you know, because we were involved with both sides of the equation here, we got to talk to some people and involved. And let's take a look at what today's job seekers, what, what is their interpretation of technology versus what you see? And I'm not, I'm not saying either is the right or wrong view, I'm just saying it can be wildly different. For today's 20-somethings, they were two years old when the internet launched. It's all they've ever known. 
for 30 and 40-somethings. Most of their teen years, college, and a decade or two of work has been internet-based. They grew up on the internet. You, on the other hand, if you're the major director of a company who remembers the first DOS-based computer systems, you may well think that that new ERP you're using, the new business system you put in five or six years ago, is pretty modern, pretty slick. Sure, it gets the job done, but is it really slick? If you picked one of the leading software systems five, even five or six years ago, most leading ERP systems take 15 to 20 years to achieve market dominance and, and become a leading system. So by definition, if you were looking at leading systems five or six years ago, that code base has a development history. It was born, so to speak, 25 to 30 years ago. To today's younger workforce, that looks like something so old they've never seen anything like it. I mean, I'm sure it could do an adequate job, but here's what we see when our clients replace systems like that. There's job lock. You know, you have this workload issue in the business office. You, you hire an accounting staffer. Uh, one of their job duties is, is the weekly roundup report or whatever. Only the old system wasn't set up for the weekly roundup report. The data comes from several places. They've got to gather it, put it together, tweak it, assemble it, compile it, all that type of thing. And as your business grows, more data is added. And, and now this accounting professional you hired to do the weekly roundup report is only doing manual data entry all day long, all week long to get that report to turn out right. Now, had you designed it that way in the first place, said, hey, let's hire a single person in accounting just to enter data for a weekly roundup report, it would make no sense. But incrementally, it started out as an easy report to distribute People began to depend on it, different managers in different departments. And today, it's this expensive, labor-intensive kludge fest, right? Had you offered that job to someone, hey, you want to punch a keyboard for 50 hours a week forever, entering data over and over again every week? They just said, no way. And if you propose to management, let's, let's hire one person to spend 50 hours a week in perpetuity doing what an automated system could do in microseconds, management would have said, hey, no way. And right now, as we're reopening the office and we're asking people to come back into work, a lot of those data entry job lock workers aren't so locked into coming back. They found they could survive without that job and it's opened their eyes to look for new ways of making a living. Recently, we looked at this Brainyard survey of 500 respondents. These guys were finance leaders from multiple industries. What were their top issues? Employee turnover, 55% of the respondents said it was a top five issue. 56% said the difficulty of staffing skilled workers. And, and, and again, 56% were concerned that they had insufficient data technology. The technology that eliminates a lot of those manual data entry snafus. Do you see where these trends are starting to intersect? The president of that refrigeration company that was trying to hire afterwards, he was saying, all these kids want to go to work for a startup or something. They don't realize these are great jobs and they can make a lot of money. And he, like me, I mean, anyone under 30, we refer to as kids when they're out of earshot, but that's just us. Anyway, that's the situation. Your technology can make it seem like you're really old school, even if it's only five or six years old to you. And we've talked about how cloud, and, and we need to distinguish here, there's made-for-cloud, multi-tenant software. I think NetSuite, Intact, Acumatica, the common systems i mean 
that's the business equivalent of, of a consumer system like Facebook. It's cloud-based. It's super easy to use. It's already provisioned, so you simply sign up, join, and go. On the other hand, here's an older traditional ERP, and in the last couple years, maybe they've released a, quote, cloud version, unquote. It's the same 25-year-old software system, and maybe even with a big-name ERP trying to do this me-too cloud play, what... But what you end up with is a business system whose consumer equivalent product might be something like AOL.com. So when a prospective employee looks at your company, are they thinking, is their technology Facebook, familiar, comfortable, easy to use? Or are they thinking AOL.com? Not that they've ever seen AOL.com, but they heard about it from, from their parents and, or their grandparents getting so excited hearing you got some mail. Now, this is not to disparage your current software. It's just to illustrate what you're seeing and what a bright new hire might be seeing are two totally different perspectives. You can fight it all you want, but you're going to lose out on that key hire, which could limit the talent within your company for the next few years. The workforce has changed. Hiring's harder than ever. The top companies are turning to technology to do more with fewer people that they can hire and keep. Plus, we know a couple of things. Modern systems based on operational productivity allow remote workforces to maintain efficiencies and, and let you spot missed or troublesome issues sooner and manage your productivity output, not monitor people's physical location between 8 and 5 o'clock. A recent Fast Company survey shows 55% of current job holders are planning to change jobs in the next nine months mostly saying that they don't feel like a valued team member. Is your current system really helping them do their jobs, or is it creating additional workarounds and a productivity drag? Do your systems value your employees' time and contribution, or is it making three of them input the same data in different places? That's not the kind of team they wanted to be a valued member of. They wanted to feel like they were making a solid contribution and their, their time, their effort, their work is important. Older technology is a huge turnoff to a digital workforce. In a labor shortage situation, it's going to affect the quality of your recruitment efforts. At least that's the conclusion our clients are coming to. And if you look, you may see versions of this in your workplace as well. Item two, JIT. Just-in-time inventory is dead. It's now JST, just sitting there. Just sitting there on a boat waiting to be unloaded in the Long Beach Harbor. Or just sitting there in a container on the docks waiting for a truck to pick it up. And even if you're not a manufacturer importer, what we're really talking about here is a market disruption and how you respond to it. We could make the same point talking about e-commerce websites to reach customers where they are, or half a dozen other market disruption responses. But what we do know is that after 18 months of COVID disruptions is that digital companies shift quicker, respond faster, and in many cases even grow during periods of market disruption. So for discussion's sake, let's, let's stick with our inventory example because those boats sitting in the harbor is such a graphic uh, picture in all of our newscasts right now. You know, back in July, for example, I ordered some ping golf clubs from Karsten Golf. They're local here to the Phoenix market, Karsten. And I got to support the local manufacturing guys. Uh, <laughs> any excuse to go play golf. Anyway, they were 
having to promise a six-week delivery, which was weird. Ping's traditional business model is to have golfers go to a testing facility, they do a custom fitting, and then they deliver custom manufactured clubs just for you within a week. And while Ping's main facility is in Arizona, where the customizations and assemblies take place, a lot of the club heads, shafts, and grips now come from China. During the COVID shutdown, one of the few things you could still do was play golf, or I should say in most states you could still play golf. It, it was outside where COVID transmission rates are super low. People had more time. They, they can't travel. They had extra disposable income. Golf as a sport has taken off. Tons of new golfers have taken up the game. There's a link on the website from Golf Digest about golf's recent boom and the resulting equipment delays because there's huge demand for all golf manufacturers. So right now at podcast time, here we are early November, the ping clubs I ordered in July, we still don't even know when they'll be delivered. I also found out a couple of shipping containers of ping components made in China. A couple of containers were washed off a ship during a Pacific storm. So maybe my clubs are delivered, it's just the wrong address and it's at the bottom of an ocean, which does not help my golf game nor Karsten Ping Manufacturing. And now, here comes a story. A couple of weeks ago, 10,000 counterfeit clubs were seized in a recent operation by a manufacturing and a counterfeiting group. It wasn't just Ping, there were Titleist, PXG, Callaway, TaylorMade. The conclusion, at a time when demand is highest for golf manufacturers and they have a once in a lifetime opportunity to really be able to gain new customers and market share that could last for years. Their so-called partners in China are instead diverting their production to be sold on the black market. Is that what's happening? It's almost enough to make you wonder if maybe the American manufacturers should start thinking about onshoring their component manufacturing. Ford Motors, for example, they're revamping their supply chain. Now, according to a recent Wall Street Journal article, instead of relying on external manufacturers, they're going to open up their own battery manufacturing facility for a line of electric cars. That in, they're planning by 2025 to use their own batteries. Ford has also looked at the current chip shortage that, that's halting new auto production, and they're starting their own semiconductor fabrication facility, making their own chips. Granted, not everybody is Ford Motors. JIT was the globalization answer for past manufacturing. But now in the era of JST just sitting there, it's time for mid-market manufacturers to start their own what-if analysis. What if we start making our components ourselves? What if we switch to existing onshore sources? What, maybe Mexico, maybe EU? Let's drop down for a second and go back to that ping example. Say Ping wanted to start manufacturing their own club heads again or spin up a rubberized line to make their own grips. What would the cost be? What about the revenues? How could we model this? If we know our base cost profile and, and, and our systems can give us costs and revenues down to the individual unit level, the individual club, then what we can use is FP&A, financial planning and analysis software. It used to be called Advanced Financials as a module for ERP, but there's many new players in the market and we can create spreadsheet-like business models that allow us to vary the market assumptions, like how many clubs could we sell if we had inventory while TaylorMade was out of stock? Or, or what if our grips cost an extra 20 cents each to make? Or what if we sold grips to TaylorMade? I mean, how would a 
things like an e-commerce strategy fit into this? What if you start sourcing golf grips from that Hirachi Sandals company in Mexico? I mean, you could do this with spreadsheets and business plans, but by the time you finish writing the model, the world has changed, and so we use these advanced software tools to protect our market and project market shifts, and then we can make solid assumptions on which to base major decisions. And JIT inventory? What do our profit margins look like if we start stocking two months' worth of raw materials instead of JIT? And how does all this change if Bubba Watson wins another Masters playing ping clubs? Or, or what happens if it's just a minor tournament? You can model that and you can use that for all types of decisions. But you've got to have solid underlying data. And today's finance groups are understanding that. It's easy to see JIT inventory cost everyone a lot this year. And as crazy as the world looks right now, it's hard to imagine that this is the last global supply chain issue we're ever going to face. And that's why we're seeing companies invest in their analytics, moving to cloud-based software and systems to track down to the penny exactly what the cost profile looks like on every unit produced. It's converting that business office from a data entry team to an automated system to streamline data flow, which then gives that business office time to become a data analysis team. Instead of using expensive manual labor, inputting the same data on five different manually generated reports like we talked about before. We're turning our business office from a cost center into a profit center? You tell me. In any case, that's what's driving our manufacturing clients right now. The ones who look for profit from ERP. We all know the number one enemy of decisiveness is uncertainty. So how do we create certainty in an uncertain world? What's affecting our business, our customers? There's inflation, Afghanistan, COVID, borders out of control, gas prices rising with pipeline cancellations. The healthcare system is beginning to implode under vaccination layoffs of frontline responders. By the time you hear this podcast, <laughs> the list of last week's uncertainties will certainly contain new issues that we hadn't even thought about a week ago. How do you make business decisions in an era of so much uncertainty? It's easy. You create more internal certainty. I can point you to a dozen recent ER podcast episodes that document companies prospering incredibly over the last year. Home furnishings, consumer goods, food and beverage, golf and sporting goods, bicycles, anything outdoor, home building, home remodeling, shades and awnings. The list goes on. In many of those situations, new consumer patterns emerged and the companies who could pivot grew faster than they could ever have imagined. Companies that could recognize new markets and see new signs of growth in existing customers exploded. But here's the thing. Traditional ERP systems that were designed to enable JIT inventories and focused around MRP or materials planning, they also grew in certain segments, but their systems tied their growth to just so much and no more. They couldn't scale. They couldn't pivot. Traditional ERP companies needed to implement new systems. Made for cloud ERP, they spun up new apps. The difference between new systems and new apps? <laughs> About 7 to 18 months, something like that. Traditional ERP meant building e-commerce systems from scratch. 
made for cloud ERP meant a phone call to provision the already operational e-commerce module, just license it to your company. It was all driven by analytics, by seeing any number in a made-for-cloud ERP, you can report on that number today. Traditional ERP waits for a consultant to clear his schedule so he can come in and write a new report from you from that old ERP system and hope maybe you'll have it in six weeks. Advanced Analytics takes it a step further and it draws data from multiple databases and operational systems. Managers could see where the growth was coming from, the new growth, and they could see cost shifts where former cash cows were becoming expense centers and they could react quicker. And if your underlying systems are giving you better data, that's information that makes business decisions more certain. Look, you can't control the outside world. You can and you should tune out as much of it as you can, but you can't control it. You can increase certainty within your four walls. One thing about uncertainty is it stops innovation dead. And what does that innovation look like in your company? Chances are you have a pretty good handle on some ideas, but traditional ERP isn't the infrastructure that digital companies use to evaluate and implement those innovations. Our clients understood that they needed technology today more than ever to know with solid certainty what's going on in all aspects of their company operations. Earlier I said, it's easy. You can create more internal certainty. Okay, it's not always that easy. I mean, we just wrapped up a situation. We were evaluating software systems. We, we looked at one system after another for a client, month after month. Nothing seemed to work well. I mean, they sort of work, but not really. And we finally found the right ERP. And it was just about double the original budget that the client wanted to spend. So we did some more work. We created a cost revenue model based on savings and, and revenues we'd seen delivered for past clients. We told them that the software would pay for itself within two years, but it was just still out of budget. We moved some user counts from the base software to an operational app that fed into the main ERP. We, we, we switched sourcing of the internal back to the internal CRM. We finally architected a solution that worked, and we were back nearly to the original budget. And that saved our client hundreds of thousands of dollars, many times multiple of our billable hours. Now that's profit from ERP, and we can likely do the same for you. When you're ready, drop us an email, info at profitfromerp.com. That gets the ball rolling. Thanks for listening, and thanks for forwarding links of this ER podcast to people who really need to hear this type of stuff. <laughs> for the ER podcast, I'm your host and director of Profit from ERP, Gene Hammonds, encouraging you to stay profitable, my friends. For source links and forwarding, visit the ERP news page at www.profitfromerp.com or subscribe to the ER podcast wherever you download your podcasts.